Good morning, pastors and ministry leaders. Thank you so much for joining us and welcome to the Nigerian Pastors Podcast. My name is Shegun Ayegusi, and I am a pastor and founder and director of the Gathering Faith Leadership Network. We are a pastoral training ministry in the city of Jos in Kato State, Nigeria, and our mission is to encourage, equip, and strengthen pastors and ministry leaders. The Nigerian Pastors Podcast is the audio ministry of the Gathering Faith Leadership Network, and we aim to achieve two goals through this podcast. One, we want to minister to the pastor's heart and stir up in you a greater love for Jesus Christ. The fact is, when a pastor is in awe and in love with Jesus Christ, it will result in emotionally and spiritually healthy ministry leaders who lead thriving churches. And our second goal through this podcast is to equip you with practical biblical teaching for ministry so that you can grow in your knowledge of God's Word and become more effective in preaching and teaching through the Bible. It is our ongoing prayer that the Holy Spirit of God accomplishes both of these goals in your life as you listen along. Welcome again, and thank you for listening. Welcome, pastors, and thank you so much for joining us today. So uh, this episode is actually going to be the last one in our four-part Christmas series that we've been doing over these last few weeks. Like we discussed several weeks ago, we took a break from our usual pastoral training and equipping material content and are focusing more on just biblical teaching, just to bless and encourage the pastor's heart and really to give you some real biblical contents that you can actually use as you prepare your Christmas series. One of the bonuses that we're adding to our podcast is we are making a uh, e-copy version of each podcast available for download, a PDF document, and those are available on the website. Well, like I said, um, we are in our last episode of our four-part Christmas series, and thus far, over these last few weeks, we have discussed the events of Christmas from Earth's perspective. Uh, we've looked at the extraordinary events of the story of Mary, the mother of Jesus. We've also talked about King Herod, you know, the paranoid, crazy king and how God can accomplish his will in spite of evil. And then last week, we turned our attention to the spiritual realm where we looked at Revelation chapter 12 about the lady and the dragon and what was happening behind the scenes. Well, today, we're going to continue in that vein and we're going to look at heaven and the moment that Christ appears before the throne of God after his Ascension. I mean, we're going to be in Revelation chapter 5, and man, this is an incredible and captivating scene of what Christ looks like in heaven. Now, I'm going to be reading from, oh, we're going to be looking at Revelation 5, but rather than read it, I want you once again to listen to a dramatic reading of Revelation 5. Here we go. I saw a scroll in the right hand of the one who sat on the throne. It had writing on both sides and was sealed with seven seals. Then I saw a mighty angel who proclaimed in a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? But no one in heaven or on earth or under earth was able to open the scroll or to examine it. 
I shed many tears because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to examine it. One of the elders said to me, Do not weep. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed, enabling him to open the scroll with its seven seals. Then I saw standing in the midst of the throne and the four living creatures and the elders, a lamb that seemed to have been slain. He had seven horns and seven eyes. These are the seven spirits of God sent out into the whole world. He came and received the scroll from the right hand of the one who sat on the throne. When he took it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Each of the elders held a harp and gold bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of the holy ones. They sang a new hymn. Worthy are you to receive the scroll and to break open its seals, for you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God those from every tribe and tongue, people and nation. You made them a kingdom and priests for our God, and they will reign on earth. I looked again and heard the voices of many angels who surrounded the throne and the living creatures and the elders. They were countless in number, and they cried out in a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches, wisdom and strength, honor and glory and blessing. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea, everything in the universe, cry out, to the one who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor, glory and might, forever and ever. The four living creatures answered, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. All right, so let's dive in. You've just heard it read, right? So uh, a little bit of context. Um, in the previous chapter, in Revelation chapter 4, the Apostle John, who's the one who wrote the book of Revelation, had just been overwhelmed by a vision of God's majestic throne room. And, and John is one of the very select few people who have ever been allowed to see the full glory of God on his throne. And so when we get to Revelation chapter 5, John's mind is still reeling from the visual overload that he just saw. He's, he's feeling awestruck by the majesty of God's presence. But then Revelation chapter 5 opens up with John noticing something in God's right hand. When John looks closer at the throne of God, which he sees, he notices in God's hand there is a strange-looking scroll. Now, a scroll, in case you're wondering, is just it's a rolled-up parchment paper that you write on that the ancients used to use. They would roll it up, right? And and so there's this scroll, there's this scroll in God's hand, but but because it's in God's hand, we know that this is no 
ordinary scroll, right? In fact, the fact that it's in God's right hand indicates that this scroll and its contents are of the utmost importance and authority. You see, not only this, it's so because, notice also if you looked at that verse we just read, the content of this scroll is full to overflowing. You might have picked up on the fact that it says there were things written on the both sides of the scrolls, which is unusual because generally you would write only on one side of a scroll. And so the fact that it has information on both sides of it written, there's obviously a lot of important things on this and it's hugely important. The second thing about this scroll that is in God's hand is that it is sealed with seven seals. Now, usually just one seal is usually enough to keep a scroll closed, but seven times indicate that like this stuff is important and, and, and it's inaccessible. In other words, nobody's getting into this thing unless the person who sealed it opens it up. One author writes about this scroll in Revelation chapter 5. He says this. He says, the fact that this scroll has seven seals on it means that it is locked up tighter than the president's secret bunker. It means nobody can access it. It's a concealed mystery. It's a closed book, and it's been shut by seven seals, making it absolutely impossible for any man to open it, read it, or carry out and execute its contents. So it is at this point that I think our questions start to arise because we're hopefully you're thinking like, so what exactly is in this scroll and, and, and why is its content under such heavy security? Well, that question is actually not much of a mystery because if you turn one chapter over to Revelation chapter 6, you will see what happens when each of the seven seals is taken off the scroll. So we're going to find out true what the the scroll is, we're going to find out what it is in a moment, but I think a better question to discuss is the significance of the scroll. In other words, what's the scroll doing in heaven? Like why now? And, and what does it represent in God's hand? Well, like what does it, what does its presence in God's hand imply? Well, the first thing is this concerning strolls, um, in, in ancient middle Eastern culture, scrolls were used before the modern invention of books. These scrolls were sort of like a certificate of ownership or a title deed used to prove that a property or piece of land belonged to you. And in this scroll in ancient days, it would be it would include a detailed description of the property, the owner's right to it, and obviously the name of the person who owns it. Well, in Revelation chapter 5, because of whose hand this scroll is in, and because every time that the seal on each of the seven seals are opened in the next chapter, because something happens on earth, we can conclude that this scroll is actually the title deed, or better yet, it is the certificate of ownership to the earth. And in it is information that has to do with how the earth and how all of humanity will be redeemed by its owner. That's the significance of the scroll in Revelation chapter 5. It's a certificate of ownership to earth. It's in God's hand. So the creator of heaven and earth has this thing in his hand. So, so naturally there is an import, there's a need, right? There's a need to find someone who is capable, who is worthy enough to walk into the throne room of heaven, into the holiest of holy places in heaven, 
This person has to go past 24 kingly elders who are sitting on the throne. This person has to go past some very strange-looking angels referred to as the four living creatures. This person has to go past all of these people, stand face-to-face before God, and then take the scroll from God's hand, open up the seven seals, and carry out its content. I mean, this is mission impossible, right? And it's because it's not an easy task. In fact, the need to open up this scroll is so important that God puts together a search committee that's made up of just one mighty angel to search out for a candidate. Remember, the whole context of the book of Revelation is about how the world is going to wrap up. And that's what's happening here. Verse 2 says, and John reports, he says, And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy? to break the seals and open up this scroll. And then it's noted that no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. Okay, uh, there are two important things you should know about this question that is being asked by this one angel search committee. First of all, his question that he's asking, who can open up this scroll, is the same question that is asked multiple times a day in every home, in every city, in every country in the world. When this angel is asking, who's able to answer this, who's able to open this scroll, he's essentially asking what we've asked, questions like, who's going to rescue us from all the daily heartache and disappointment of life? Who's gonna, who has the resources and the leadership insight to make this world a better place for us? Who will save us from all this pain and destruction and usher in the renewal of things? That's the question the angel is asking when he says, who can open up this scroll? Who can fix the problems that are wrong with this world? That's the question. In fact, as a pastor serving in the northeast part of Nigeria, especially here in the city of Jos, this question of who can open the scroll, who can fix things for us, is a question that countless mothers, fathers, and children have cried out as they have watched their family members being slaughtered by Islamist extremists, Boko Haram, right? Like we've heard mothers cry, God, save us, God, send rescue, God, deliver us. We're all asking this same question that's being asked by this angel in heaven. Now, the second thing I want to point out about this angel's all-important question is that he's not just asking the residents of heaven. This question transcends time and space. In other words, because God is omnipotent and omnipresent, which means he's all-powerful and he's all-present, because of these things, the question that this angel is asking in heaven is essentially being asked of every person or creature and or spiritual being who has ever lived from the beginning of time till its end, who on in all of creation that has ever existed and will exist, who is worthy to break the seals and open up the scrolls and fulfill what it says. Who is worthy enough to enter into God's holiest of holy presence, take the scroll from his hands, open up the seven seals, and carry out its content? Unfortunately, verse 3 tells us that no one responds. No one steps up. No one is able to respond. The angel, this mighty angel who's asking the question, searches all of heaven. And, and, and even in heaven, none of the mightiest and fiercest Holy angels respond, Archangel Michael and Gabriel don't speak up. Then the search moves, shifts to the endless galaxies, and every corner of the universe is explored, but even still, no extraterrestrial alien response. 
Then the search moves to earth because scripture says that all of heaven, all of earth, under the earth was explored. So the search moves from heaven, from space to earth. And, and even on earth, none of the greatest men and women in our history who we worship as, who we celebrate as heroes, none of them steps up to the plate. Finally, a desperate search is made under the earth as the pits of hell are explored and no lost soul or demon has anything to say. You know what that means? That means that a global, worldwide, universe search has turned up no one. No one is able to take the scroll from God's hands and open it. And this is bad news because it means that all hope for Earth's inhabitant, inhabitants is lost. In fact, it's so bad that it actually takes an emotional toll on John the Apostle in verse 4. Because in response to the fact that no one could be found to open the scroll, John says in verse 4, he says, I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Now, once again, let's point out that these tears that John is crying are the same tears that many of us have cried when we saw or we see the brokenness in the world, right? When, when John's crying because there's no answer, it's the same tears that are cried when a baby dies at birth or a child is taken in his youth. The tears that John is crying are the same tears that are cried when, when, a, parent, when, a, when a parent or a father or a mother or a person hears from a doctor and the doctor says, you have a terminal disease. Those tears are the same tears when we lose our job or can't provide for our family or when a marriage breaks up or a loved one betrays us or when Christians are killed for the gospel. I mean, this list goes on, but these are essentially the same tears that John is crying in heaven. The good news, however, and fortunately, all of these tears, all this crying is happening in heaven, the very place where the Bible tells us that God shall wipe away our tears. You see, right before John the Apostle slips into a hopeless depression because no one can be found, one of the 24 elders taps him on the shoulder and redirects his attention to a new stranger that just appeared on the heavenly scene. Let me read it to you in verse 5. It says, Then one of the elders said to me, that's John, who had been crying, he says, Do not weep, John, but look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then John says, I saw a lamb in verse 6. I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, and it was standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. And he went, that's the lamb, the lamb went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sits on the throne. All right, so um, what I just read, what's happening here is both very, very exciting, but at the same time also kind of very, very strange. So first of all, the exciting part. So the, the search committee of this one mighty angel has finally found someone who is worthy to open the scroll and fulfill its contents. And that person is none other than the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ himself. You see, the reason why we understand this lamb in Revelation 5, who's before the throne, the reason why we understand that this lamb is Jesus is because he is described as the lion of the tribe of Judah from the root of David and is seen as the lamb that was slain. 
All of these titles are messianic titles. They're, they're messianic titles that refer to Jesus Christ. For a couple of reasons. Number one, we know that the Jewish people descended from the 12 sons of Jacob, one of whom was named Judah. Number two, Judah and his descendants are described as a fierce lion in Genesis chapter 49 when their father is blessing them. And it's from that bloodline that Jesus would come from. And then number three, we know in Isaiah 53 verse 7 that uh, the prophet Isaiah described the life and death of Jesus Christ as being a lamb that was slain or that was being led to the slaughter. And so when you take all of these together, it becomes apparent that the identity of the Lamb of God who just walked into the throne room of heaven in Revelation chapter 5 is none other than Jesus Christ himself, the Son of God. And if you want to know where Jesus Christ was during that whole search and why they couldn't locate him, well, one possible suggestion is that he was busy doing something that no one else in all of creation could do. He was, he was busy paying for the sin of the world and bridging the gap between heaven and earth. Now that, my friends, is incredibly encouraging news. So that's the good part. But then there are also some really strange things about this lamb that's worth looking into. Number one, the first thing is this. You notice that the lamb before the throne of God appears to be severely wounded. Verse 5 says, John says, after they had made a search and confined no one, verse 6 in Revelation 5 says, John says, then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, and it was standing in the center of the throne. Now, you know, a bloodied animal seems like a very strange sight one would see in heaven, right? Like the word used to describe this slain lamb paints the picture of a violent, bloody slaughter. And that while, while that may be a strange picture for some people, as Christians, this should immediately bring to mind images of the grisly crucifixion of Jesus Christ. In fact, the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 53 verse 48 says this. He says, he, that's the Messiah, that's Jesus. He says, he was wounded and crushed for our sin, that he was beaten that we might have peace. He was whipped and we were healed. The Lord laid on him the guilt and sins of us all, and he was led as a lamb to the slaughter. But who among the people realized that what he was doing for their sins and that he was suffering for their punishment? You see, Jesus paid a horrible price for our sin by taking on himself the holy wrath of God that should have been dealt to us. Now, to be clear, this doesn't mean that in heaven you're going to see a bloodied animal walking around, dripping flood all over the heavenly floor, but rather this lamb's bleeding is a visual illustration of Jesus Christ, who apparently in heaven still bears some of the scars from the cross, all to remind us of the great cost at which our lives were purchased and redeemed. And then the second feature about this lamb that should catch our attention is the fact that this lamb has great authority and power. Verse 6 and 7 says, John says, Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne. And this lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent into all the whole earth. And he came and took the scroll from the right hand of him 
who sat on the throne. Um, this next detail I'm going to mention might not seem like a big deal, but if you think about it for a second, it's going to hit you. Um, I think it should strike us as odd for one simple reason when we hear this passage read, and it's this. Lambs that have been slain don't stand or walk around. This lamb is described as having been slain, yet it's standing and eventually it walks around. Dead or slain lambs don't walk. They, they stay dead or they stay bloodied and they wobble all over the place. They don't stand. Yet this lamb and the lion of Judah that we see before the throne of God is fully active, which once again reminds us that it's a symbolic picture of Jesus, not an actual lamb. And even though he was fatally wounded in his crucifixion, you will remember that Jesus did not stay dead, right? God raised him from the dead in power and Christ ascended back to heaven where he was given, has been given authority and power over everything. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19 to 23, the apostle Paul captures that moment. He says this, he says, I pray that you will begin to understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. And this, is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now he, that's Christ, is far above any ruler, any authority, any power, any leader, or anything else in this world or in the world to come. And God has put all things under the authority of Christ and he gave him this authority for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It is filled with Christ who fills everything everywhere with his presence. Now, this, this is powerful, right? Like this is the lamb of God who was slain for the world who rose again. You know, there's a story. I once heard a story about a man who wanted to start a new religion. But after a while, he noticed that nothing was happening, right? He wasn't getting any new converts. And so this man goes to one of his elders for some advice. And he says, sir, what should I do? My church's not growing. I can't reach people. And the elder replies to him and says this. He says, well, I recommend that if you really want to see your church grow, if you really want to see your religion grow, get yourself arrested. Then get crucified and then make sure that you die. But be sure to rise up again on the third day. You see, Jesus Christ is the only Savior who died for the sin of the world, declared that three days later he would rise from the dead, then actually did it. It is this Lamb of God we see before the throne of God. You see, not only is Jesus Christ the Lamb of God who's, who rose from the dead, but man, he is packing some serious superpowers. Look at verse 6. Verse 6 says that this Lamb before the throne of God had seven horns, and seven eyes. So once again, let me just clarify, God is trying to visually picture for us a biblical truth. So chances are you will never meet an actual animal like this in heaven. Remember, it's a visualization of the power and majesty and the finished work of Jesus Christ. You know, speaking of the number seven, we know from the scripture that seven represents perfection, right? It represents the completion of all things, as in the seven days of creation, really six days, but seventh day was the day of rest, right? We, we know that the horn is often symbolic of an animal's strength and power. It has to do with its ability to fight back and run into them, ram, ram into something. And then the eyes obviously speak of intelligence, wisdom, discernment, insight, the ability to see things. 
You take all of those pictures together and you end up with a very powerful resurrected Christ. You see, as soon as Jesus, the Lamb of God, takes the scroll from God's right hand, his actions trigger spontaneous praise, worship, and celebration in heaven, right? Because he's just walked into the holiest of holy places, into the very presence of God. He's taken the scroll from God's right hand, and he's about to do what it says. Let me point out two important details about the rest of this section in Revelation chapter 5, starting in verse 8 to 14, because remember, once Jesus performs, the, so the story starts with, there's a great need, somebody needs to take the scroll and do something with it, no one can be found, the angel starts crying, then they notice Jesus as the Lamb of God, he comes in, he takes the scroll, starts to execute its content, and starting in verse 8, one of the first things that happens in response is that there is spontaneous celebration in heaven. You know, one of the interesting things about heaven when you read the scripture is that there's a lot of worship. In fact, almost in every instance of, of visions in heaven in the Bible, there's worship, there's celebration around the throne room of God. There's always a spontaneous, like somebody says or does something. It's as if God reveals a part of who he is, his power, his wisdom, his beauty, his creativity. And, and, and it results in people just applauding and celebrating and cheering and dancing and jumping and singing with joy. Like when you had re heard Revelation chapter 5, that was what was happening there. And here is what is incredible about spontaneous celebration in heaven. It's that each time they burst out in a new song, in a song it literally says, it's a new song, as in there's a song that's been fresh, freshly written every time that people get to celebrate. I mean, it's just an incredible scene. The second thing that I want to point out from this rest of this chapter is verse 8, says that the 24 kingly elders who sit in God's presence, along with the four living creatures who dwell in God's presence, along with every angel in heaven, fall down in worship before the Lamb. That's what it says in verse 8, right? It says that they all fell down and worshipped the Lamb. Please do not overlook that passage. You see, in this entire book, the only other being that those same kings, 24 elders and angels, the only other person that they fall down and worship is God himself. Like this is just an incredible sight and thought. But in heaven, listen to me, Jesus Christ is worshipped as if he were God. That's what we see as they bow down before this lamb. In fact, the Bible explains it this way in the book of Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 to 11. It says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mind as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, let me say that again, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ, who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance of a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. And for this reason, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the God of glory. So it's a result of this that, right, because of who Christ is, that celebration breaks out in heaven. In fact, starting out in verse 9, it says they broke out in a completely new song and everyone in heaven angel and humanity instantly knew what the song was. 
And so as we wrap up today's podcast with this passage, here's what I want you to take from this podcast. And it's this, that in the end, God wins and we get to celebrate with Jesus. Listen, I understand that life may be at a low point for you right now and you may be facing some struggles. I understand that our prayers may not always seem to be answered in the timing we wanted. So I understand that evil may even increase and appear as if it's winning. But hear me on this. The scripture does not mince words about the end of the age. Like no matter how hard this life may be or become, the moment you take your last breath in this life and open your eyes in the next, it will be eternal rest and eternal reign with Christ and all your trials will finally be over. Someday in our future, very possibly in our near future, you and I will begin our new eternal life with Jesus Christ in a renewed glorified body, whether that means we die and go to heaven or Jesus Christ returns. At some point, you and I will join countless numbers of saints in heaven and angels who are singing in Revelation 5 to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. And I pray that you can say boldly in your own mouth, with your own mouth, in your own house, the words, Amen to this. Brothers, sisters in Christ, let us live each day knowing that someday in our future, very near future, the Lord Jesus Christ will return and you and I will give an account for how we faithfully shepherded every soul he entrusted to us. May God bless you this week as you go about your business. Love you all. Thanks again for listening to the Nigerian Pastors Podcast. For more information about our ministry, uh, you could visit our website, www.thegatheringfaithleadership.network. We are a pastoral training ministry in the city of Jos, Plateau State, Nigeria. And our mission is to encourage, equip, and strengthen pastors and ministry leaders. If you enjoyed this week's podcast and were blessed by it, there are one of two ways you can be a blessing to us in return. One, you can subscribe to our podcast on whatever streaming platform you're listening to us and leave an encouraging review and give us some great stars uh, telling us how much you enjoyed our podcast. That would mean a lot to us. And then two, you can actually visit the episode page of this week's podcast and share it on any of your social media platforms, whether it's Facebook, Instagram, WhatsApp, wherever, and let your friends know about us. We truly appreciate you and hope you were blessed by this. Thanks again for listening. We'll catch you up with you next week. Stay close to Christ. Mm-hmm.